Welcome to the Catholic Center. Welcome to the Catholic Center. Welcome to the Catholic Center. Hey everyone, this is James Perkins, the Director of Liturgy and Music here at the Catholic Center. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Catholic Dogs Podcast. In today's episode, Father Brian and I sit down and we talk about a whole bunch of things, what it's like to be a seminarian, how to find community as a young adult, and also all of the amazing things that's going on with our students here at the Center. Just as a reminder, we have student masses at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. with a to-go dinner afterwards. We'll see you all this weekend. This would have been uh, like September, October, November of this past year, so before the world got crazy, right? And my off days were Thursday and Friday, so I, but my kids get up super early um, to go to daycare at the time um, for Maggie to go to school, so we'd all get up at like 6 o'clock and then get them to, the, to daycare, my wife would go to work and I'd come back home, and so like by 6.30, I'm just like at home awake. And I'm, I'm the kind of guy that will just answer emails and start working because I'm up and I'm free and there's no distractions. And so I start sending emails and text messages and, and I'm just like cranking it out. And I find myself getting frustrated because no one's responding. <laughs> I'm like, what? I just need a simple answer to this thing. And then I realized, you know, by that point it was like 7.30, 7.45, 8 o'clock in the morning and I'd already been hounding people for work. So I got on Instagram and I did a public apology. I was like, I am so sorry for sending you emails at six o'clock in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) It's my off day. I don't know what else to do. And no one else is awake. And I get two responses. One is from Rob Monopar from Prince of Peace, who's also up with little kids for super early. He's like, yeah, dude, me too. And then the other person was Father Jack. And uh, he shoots me a text. He's like, hey, do you want to get like breakfast together? <laughs> He's like, I'm up. It's my off day too. And no one else is Thursdays off. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's go get breakfast. So at like eight 30, we go to downtown Alpharetta and like we have coffee and we hang out and we're talking and it's a great conversation. And by that point it's like lunchtime. She's like, do you want to go get lunch? And it's like, well, yeah, like it's my off day. I really had nothing else going on. So we finished lunch and it's great. And we were talking about such a great ministry and, and getting to know each other. I was like, well, there's a brewery up the street. Do you want to go up to the brewery? Yeah, let's go. So by this point, it's like four or five o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. I got to go pick up my kids. And I'm like, I've been gone all day. And so I told my, I told my, my wife, Maggie, I was like, uh, I think I just made like a new best friend. And Thursdays are now going to be like the most epic day ever. And sure enough, like every Thursday for like two months, mm. we got together at least for lunch. That's cool. And would hang out and, and talk and, and having just like that, kind of peer ministry. Like it's one, because especially if you're a young priest, you're coming out of seminary where you have this intense formation and discipleship and actual brotherhood. And now you're like in these parishes by yourself or with priests of a different generation. So to have someone to talk with and to build your own community um, is so important. And it was for me too. Like, you know, I was the only full-time employee here. And like Father Casey was our age, which was cool. But like, so I hang out with him, but like with Father Frank, you know, he's in his 60s. 
going on. So I imagine that you've probably fallen into the same no, kind of mindset because you're only yeah. two, two, almost three years. I just finished two years. I started my third as a priest. So I could imagine Jack, Father Jack, really appreciating it because uh, one of the thing, one of the experiences that I've had is that on your off day, you, like as priests, we're given one off day a week. And usually it's like either an evening, two evenings, and so like the evening before, and then the next evening. Uh, but like you, I've I've never actually learned how to spend that time well, hmm. uh, because it's like you have to somehow like rejuvenate yourself, yeah, in order to get back to six other days, right? Yeah. And so I think for the past two years, the majority of my days off would be like just butchered days off. <laughs> right, they were, they were not actually rejuvenating. I would just I would do something, and all of a sudden I'd be like, "Man, this isn't working," and then I just get sucked up into the next six days. Uh, so I would I would assume that for him, uh, it's like, man, like to have somebody uh, to hang out with or to do lunch with or to, to just to shoot the breeze with, talk ministry with, whatever uh, that isn't uh, or that is around the same age and doing the same kind of thing. Yeah, it's nice. That's real nice. Yeah, he very much like built his own community around where he was. He was like, if I'm going to be in a desert, it's going to be up to me. Which surprisingly, that's actually a really great tool for these days. Because on on that last episode with Sarah, she was talking about how when you're in quarantine and you're all of a sudden coming back, it's still it's up to you to reach out to your friends, to call them, to text them, and to be intentional with that relationship. I imagine with priests, it's just like a different level of intentionality that you have to form. Yeah, so I get together with uh, a group of priest friends of mine. So Jack, Father Jack, he was, we were ordained the same time as a priest. And we were ordained with four other guys. And I'm, I'm very close to all, all, sorry, three other guys. I'm very close to all four of them. Total, we, we total five. Uh, and I've known them for a while. I've known Jack since, Father Jack since, uh, since 2010. Oh, man. 2010. To, yeah, so 2010, so I, whenever I began seminary, I, I was with him. I was next. I was neighbors with him in seminary, uh, and then we ended up going to different schools down the road. Yeah, he went to uh, St. Vincent de Paul in Florida. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, I wish I was offered Florida. So like, it was it's it, an awesome place. Yeah, I know. Gosh, so whenever so I we we met Jack Father Jack and I met in in Louisiana, and so we did two years in I did two years in Louisiana to finish our undergraduate degree, which was in philosophy. So we got to know each other there, and then we're both going up to, uh, or both like scheduled to go up to Illinois, up to Mundelein Seminary, mm-hmm. uh, which at that time was like a really great uh, seminary. Uh, but now, or like, but it wasn't just like a couple months later where I found out, find out that Jack's actually going to Florida. I'm like, what the heck, man? Like they didn't offer Florida to me. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to hang out on the beach. So I yeah. spent the next four or five years up in Chicago, freezing, freezing to death every every winter. Yeah. It was it was winter from like November to to May. <laughs> <laughs> I did I didn't even get to experience like the nice part of Chicago. It was just like it was blizzard. It was blizzard the whole time. Yeah, but they had a good they had a good academic program, spiritual program, and I appreciated that. Uh, but yeah, Father Jack and I we go we go back, and then the other guys. So, we, so I get together with, I try to get to together with them once a month. Uh, and it's intentional conversation. Yeah, uh, it's intentional conversation, which is like we start we don't we start, we don't start off and just like dive in, but we we catch up, we have fun, we get along very well. 
Uh, so, yeah, we get together. We'll do something. This coming week, I'm getting together with them. Um, and one of the newly ordained guys, Father Paul, we kind of we in, asked him if he wanted to uh, kind of join this small group of guys that we got going on, just a few of us. Uh, I think Father Jack has a, a separate group that he gets together with, separate priests. Uh, but yeah. So is that in- independent of the Archdiocese? Are you guys putting that together, or is that part of your formation from the Office of Vocations? Oh, it's us. It's us doing it, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, Cause, because well, cause with the Franciscans, they do like this. Um, they have some kind of acronym for it, but it was like all priests and, yeah, I think just priests that are under five years of ordination, they have like, they have to get together and they have to like do these monthly get togethers and yearly retreats. And it's so like check a big, this out. big part of their formation. New bishop, Bishop uh, Gregory Har- Hartmeyer. Yeah. So he becomes bishop. Back in May, and I get a letter in when I got here in July, and it said, "There's something new that we're going to be doing with our priests who were, you know, first five years in priesthood. Oh. Every, <laughs> which is me, every once a year, we're all of you are going to go down to St. Vincent de Paul in Florida for a week. Oh, cool." For, for, <laughs> For formation sessions. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. That's, that's great. <laughs> for a whole week. For a whole week. Have you yeah. been down there before? I haven't been down there. No. Oh, I'm ex- it's the best. I'm excited so about it. So I tell this story all the time. So they hired my my roommate in college, Arturo Merriman, is a seminarian down there. And uh, he's going to be a deacon here soon. Yeah, he Next year or two. Yeah. Which is crazy to think about. I like to think that we were we were bunkmates for two years. And he was the kind of guy that would shame me in the night prayer every night. And I was like, you're going to be a good priest, man. Like, that's mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> He'd be like, hey, man, like, what's on your heart? What are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to go to sleep. I got a final in the morning, you know? <laughs> and uh, so anyway, he's, it's been amazing seeing his, his kind of growth and evolution through all of that. But um, he was in charge of this massive young adult retreat that they do down there every year. And they get people that come from all over the state of Florida and even the southeast that come to the same. I'm talking like... 500 people or something. It's huge. And they hired uh, my worship band to come down, me and Ashley, onward and upward to do uh, worship for this weekend event. And it was incredible. It's at the seminary, which is just outside of Miami, basically. So it's hot. Beach. Yeah, 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 Boynton Beach. Yeah. It's, It's where it's actually located. I think we flew into like Fort Lauderdale or something. I don't even remember. But it's like the sun is like two feet above your head, so you're it's you're instantly hot and sweaty. But it's one of those where you just you accept your fate and you're just that's your new baseline is just sweat. And, and then uh, this was in summer too. This was in like June or July. It was hot, and we do this retreat and it's phenomenal. And they have these like guest uh, suites where you can stay. And it's like a really nice, like hotel type room. And it's like your own little suite with like a living room and bathroom and an awesome shower. And so like you take like four showers a day just to stay clean. And they have like these giant like soccer fields and they have like huge competitive, like, cause it's a bunch of dudes. So there's neat, there's like a lot of outlet for testosterone in this built into this whole place. So there's like these, uh, soccer fields and football fields and stuff and basketball courts. And there's like this awesome resort style pool. That's just like 
like I wish I had that at my apartment complex. It's so fantastic. And then from the pool, it goes into a bar that's on campus, and they, it's named after somebody. You know, it's like Ratzinger Bar or something. Yeah. And uh, like every night, they have like happy hour down at the bar, and there's like a dartboard and pool and and uh, I mean, I spent every night of that retreat like swindling seminarians of their money <laughs> playing cricket on darts. And it was fantastic. And I, I was telling Arturo. Did you say, swindling? Yeah. I was hustling them a little bit. Oh, you play darts? I play darts. My dad was a dart champion in college and as a young adult. And um, I grew up with darts in the house. So it's one of those useless skills that only comes in handy until you get into a, a seminarian bar. Where, where there's. With, yeah, with a lot of. 200 machismo men. Going on. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I was telling Arturo, I was like, look, if I had toured this place before I got married, I would have thought twice. The not even, obviously like the the facilities and the amenities are fantastic, and that's just a selling point within itself that they take care of their men in such a such a way. But more importantly, the way that all of the guys talked about the intentionality with brotherhood, with fraternity, with their spiritual life, and seeing guys like going on a jog and praying the rosary, and spending private time in the chapel, and like working together to get to get through this this process to become a priest it was the most it's like when you see like the perfect couple you're like oh they're going to get married that's the way it was seeing like these guys court the church it was it was astounding it made my heart like so filled with hope that like for our future priests i was like if these guys can get all the way and get into parishes this is the change that we need I was like, I was like, man, I kind of wish I was a part of it. It, you know? it is interesting. Like the first thing that we'll do in the morning when I was in seminary, this is my experience. Uh, we would all gather in the chapel for morning prayer and then mass. And like, I it would be at, ours was at seven fifteen, so morning prayer every morning at seven fifteen. And so there's something about like the ritual of the day. You begin with, in uh, morning prayers, just three psalms basically. So you begin with these psalms, and then you go into Mass, uh, and then starting that whole day with it and having it as a rhythm, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's a morning ritual that we have, uh, and it, and you'd be surprised on just how much it does bond us together, uh, without us like even knowing a lot of like, because there's there's two hundred at my seminary there was over two hundred, there's maybe two hundred and and twenty five, two hundred and thirty guys when I was there. And like you don't know everyone super well, but you know everybody in general. You know most people's names, yeah. and you know uh, where they're coming from, et cetera. But like, there's just a natural shared experience with uh, with waking up every morning, with saying these psalms, with going to mass, then going to class, and then having meals together. Uh, it's a pretty profound religious life, hmm. and I definitely, I mean, I definitely encourage it for like, say for men who. Uh, are interested like you said you if you had stumbled upon it so one of the one of the unfortunate things with Atlanta is that we don't have a seminary here right uh, or we don't have if you're going to speak in in women terms we don't have a lot of women formation houses we don't have a lot of uh, women religious running around and so it's it's tough to like expose people to things yeah like when, I didn't know that was an option yeah exactly you know? and I I'm a little bit of a an exception that proves the rule and that uh, my wife and I are high school sweethearts, which never happens. And especially, it happen, I would say it happens more with uh, Catholics 
with anybody else in, in my experience, or at least deeply religious couples tend to get together a little bit earlier and continue on. But there was a period before we got married where, um, it was about a year before we got engaged, I felt like this existential crisis because I had never really dive deep into the vocation of the priesthood to even see if that was an option. I've just been dating this girl since I was 16, so I just kind of assumed that must be what God wants for me, so I didn't even like consider the other option. So I made the mistake of trying to discern the priesthood while in a relationship <laughs> with my future I don't think it wife. Works like that. Yeah. that didn't it didn't work well, dude. It's like <laughs> cheating on her. It's it's you have to like it's like dating in the seminary. You ha- yeah, you have to. <laughs> that's exactly the same thing. It's like, you know what? I'm not sure if I, you know, I've been in the seminary now for five years. I should probably date yeah, someone. You get kicked out pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it didn't work out. And I was like, I think literally in adoration, in, I have a, in a journal entry somewhere, God was just like, you dummy, what are you doing? Mm. I've already set you up. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like, don't, you don't need to panic yeah. in that kind of way. And so then we got engaged, we're married, we got two kids. It's great. Yeah, I would say that's successful so far. Yeah, yeah, it's been (laughs) very successful. Yeah, it's well, it's funny. I was telling um, I think Father Casey when he was here, um, this applies to you too. You know, people, especially ministry leaders, um, at sizable churches that are of a younger age, like you and me, a lot of times people discount our ability to minister because of our age and lack of quote unquote experience. Um, but I was trying to tell somebody, especially when it comes to priests, you know, like sometimes older generations have problems with younger priests, you know, how am I supposed to confess to a younger priest? How am I supposed to take advice and homilies and, you know, be shepherd by this person who's half my age? And I was telling them, I was like, look, they're just as deep in their vocation as I am. Mm. I'm being married with two kids gives you like a little bit of a status boost in society because it means that you're not fighting for yourself anymore. You have actual human beings that you have to take care of and feed. And so that level of responsibility and consequence, uh, it, it carries, it carries with you, uh, when you're dealing with people, but with priests, you're single quote unquote, you're like, you don't have a lot of stuff, you know, you're, you're, you're very mobile and you have to be based on the, on the vocation. So that comes with like the opposite it comes with less weight because you don't have as much, to your name, except for the little FR in front of your name. Mm. So I was telling a parishioner, I was like, you know, Father Casey, who's also 30 years old, is exactly as in his vocation as I am. Like he's been a priest for two going on three years, or not Father Casey, he just got ordained last year. But for you, for example, you've been a priest for two going on three years. I've been married for (laughs) um, six years. (laughs) I didn't think about that. Uh, but I got two kids and like, but you've been in seminary for how many years before this? Yeah. It took me eight years. Eight. Right. Yeah, so so it's, this is not, you my have whole twenty. Oh, my whole twenties. I was in seminary. Yeah. yeah. You have a, a actual decade yeah. of experience in this specific vocation for this specific job that you're here at this parish. Yeah. Who else can say that about any job that they've done? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Mean? So like, at least for me, coming out onto the stage two years ago, uh, I was kind of curious on how I would relate to folks who were older, and then having you know someone in their sixties, seventies, eighties, even nineties calling you father. It's like that's just weird, mm. right? And what I found was that 
like when it comes to the spiritual life and the Christian life, it's like they've definitely been at it for longer than I have. But like I'm right in there with them, uh, like engaging intentionally or like uh, in the mess of Christianity. So I was a- I've been able to help them. I'm just thinking of confessions would be an easy example uh, or preaching would be another example of just kind of being able to help them out and walk them along and uh, make things relevant and see if things are relevant for them. Uh, and so I found like spiritually wise or Christianity wise, like I'm able to walk with them no matter who, what age they are. Hmm. Uh, that, and I found, it's funny because like we have nothing else in common though. <laughs> right, like almost exactly nothing else. We have nothing else in common. Uh, we, I mean, there's, there's literally like, there's 50 years in between us and like, I have no idea what it's like to be your age or, or to be your generation. Uh, or I have no, I, I have no, uh, like what music you were brought up with, what movies, you know, the actors, it's like, I have like, there's, we're just so distant what it's like to have grandkids, what it's like to yeah, well, have like, kids that are adults. And, uh, the workforce too. Yeah, and the workforce. Part of it. You know, we've yeah. got. One of, one of our parishioners here, he, like, worked for the EPA for, like, 30 or 40 years mm-hmm. and, like, retired old because he was so crucial at his job. And I'm like, I haven't lived in the same house more than a year. <laughs> I don't understand how any of that works. <laughs> I'm, I'm praying for some sort of stability in life. And people are coming out the other, other end of stability, yeah. which is careers, right? 40 years of career, 30 years. Yeah, I don't. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know if it's just... But it's fun, yeah. It's funny though yeah. because, like, again, in the confessional or or in church, it's like I'm able to uh, I'm able to find some sort of connection and relationship with them with ease. Like, it's not even like I don't I don't even have to look for it. Um, and so that's kind of a blessing, to be honest. Yeah. Because there's nothing else that I would really relate to people with who are just a different generation, and the same is probably with me. Right for them looking at me, it's like, well, they may not not have any idea what it's like to be a millennial, to to operate in this world right now, to mm-hmm. go through seminary, to be a priest, etc. Um, but at the same time, we're able to we're able to meet in a place that is very important and significant and meaningful. Was there any kind of preparation? Looking back on it now, any kind of preparation in your seminary education, f- working for college students? Besides, was it, was it geared toward parishioners or is there any kind of campus ministry element that you studied? So for me, I, I went into the seminary when I was in doing campus ministry as a, as a college student. So for me, it's not like, I don't have any expertise on, on Gen Z. I don't have any expertise on college in general. Um, but I think that it's just, hey, so I, I experienced this in a, in a recent history. And so, like, it's not a forgotten demographic. Right. right? And so it's, it's people who are on my mind, college students who are on my mind and saying, okay. And I ask the questions, what are they, what are they up to? What's important to them? What are they listening to? Uh, what, what is valuable to them? Uh, and so you ask these questions, but... But no, I don't have any necessarily training. I don't necessarily think that you have to. Um, it's kind of like they're people. They're just people. I mean, Gen yeah. Z, they're 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 people. Millennials are people. Uh, baby Boomers, Generation X, we're all we're all just people with different values and so forth. Um, but no, there was no official training. But for me, coming out of college into the seminary specifically, 
uh, I was very familiar with college ministry because I was doing it. And then that was the, that was the place that I came from uh, immediately into the seminary, into yeah. priestly formation. So I recognize that, I mean, it's always been on my radar as a demographic, but I also recognize that it's not on everybody's radar as a demographic, right? right. If you're in the parish... Well, it's because we're, we're hidden up here in, at a college or in a college town. We're literally like removed an hour and a half away from, yeah. from the main city where things are going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the parish, you don't run into a ton of folks who are in their 20s. Uh, you run into a lot of folks who are in their 30s and are with kids. Right. But there's not a ton of folks who are in their 20s let alone early 20s, because they're all college. Right. They're go- or, especially with that demographic, they're not involved in parishes, nor really should they be, if, if it's not in a, a less commitment-driven ministry. But, like, you're not going to see 20 to 30, or we should say college-aged people on the Knights of Columbus or on like a dinner council, <laughs> you know, or or counting on Monday night or Monday mornings, you know, counting the offertory. That's not you're not going to find them there. Yeah, <laughs> which is fine because that's not <clears throat> that's not a space for them really. But I think they do get overlooked in that they're they're still present, but they're not. It's, it's, I think it started with millennials. Really, we don't settle down. We've because of the culture and society and the economy and the way that we were brought up and then and then the way that we were introduced to our faith and the way that we were catechized, the idea of being a parishioner is pretty foreign. Only attending one parish. Have you ever registered? Have you ever registered to be a parishioner? I did to get a discount for my wedding, (laughs) which is what I think ninety percent of. So I still get like. Uh, offertory letters <laughs> or capital campaign stuff from St. Anne's. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, I haven't lived in Marietta <clears throat> in I, a while. The last parish that I was at, I tried to communicate that I've never registered for a parish. I don't know why anyone my age would. Yeah. Like, what and, benefit and is it? <laughs> they didn't know what I was talking yeah. about. Yeah. Well, because in the, that, there's a lot of things that go into that. We're not buying houses and we're not staying in traditional company jobs where you stay for 30 or 40 years, like Mr. EPA that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's, you know, it's tech startups and new media and, uh, you know, things that, you know, they, we take chances and they might bust and they might flop and you got to make a pivot. And they're also uh, removed from being tied down so they can move away. You know, let's, you got to follow where your dreams take you or where your job ends up taking you. And if being registered at a parish is just one more thing to hold you back to a certain degree. And I think millennials kind of started off with that. And, but Gen Z is even more, even more so. I mean, the oldest Gen Z is only, I think my brother is the oldest of Gen Z and he's 22. He'll be 23 in a couple of weeks. And obviously there's like a mindset part of it too. But like, there's this idea of like fear of missing out that just pervades through all of your interactions with the world. I don't want to go to this church because there might be another church that's better and I should try it and go to a different mass. That is reason left alone to never register at a parish. You just might find a parish that you like better depending on the week. Well, right now in, in non-denominational uh, churches, you have demographic-specific 
or generational specific even uh, churches. Yes. And so you have churches for college students, you have churches for 20s, you have churches, you know, for a specific demographic or generation. And there's pros to that because you can speak a certain way, you can reference certain stuff, et cetera, and it works in terms of evangelization. Right. The problem is, is that it's, it's not sustainable from my own perspective. It's not sustainable because you're not actually including the rest of the church in it. Right, it's not engaging the rest of the church, because uh, you, you, the rest of the church you have all generations, all languages, all, all um, you know, different walks of life. Mm-hmm. And when you center on a specific demographic, yeah, you're able to be very productive. But what happens whenever they're ten years out from now? Where do they go? Is there is there a church specifically for their next generation demographic? Like, it's like changing high schools. Like going from middle school to high school, you have to go to a different church when you get above <laughs> fifty. So and it's kind of, and it's beautiful because like, I mean, ageism is a real thing, and I and I yeah. often I often fall into like, you know, not understanding specific generations and how they think and what they're accustomed to, et cetera. But uh, there is something about, I think it's powerful something about how our church is historical and it spans all generations. Hmm. Uh, so when we gather together and there's folks who are you know, much older than we are or much younger, uh, we're, we're kind of encompassing more, uh, more wholesome church. We're, we're uh, imaging the church more so or more fully, I should say, when you gather together with folks who look different, speak different, and are different ages. It's like you show up and you gather together more so as what church actually looks like. Sure. Uh, and when it comes to the having folks who are, um, I guess, how would you say it's stable and consistent and always there, uh, for us as a Catholic center in, in Athens here, I mean, we are blessed with that. Uh, the amount of support that uh, we have from our larger community, I've only been here two months, and I've seen it, the amount of support that the larger community, which is faculty, staff, which are local individuals who are not even related to the university, but they come and they give uh, their time, their, their energy, they, come to get, they give donations, they're extremely generous, mm-hmm. and it fuels, it's all mission-directed. Like They don't just give it to a building. right? They give it to a, a place that is trying to pour into the students pour right. into the mission is the students, and so they participate, even if it's even if it, if they may feel it's from afar, right? It may not be hands on, uh, but still very much so. Like we are the beneficiaries of that, mm-hmm. uh, or the students are the beneficiaries of that. It's very different in different universities across North Georgia, uh, especially because a lot they don't have permanent residents. They don't have they don't have community members who stay, who are from the town or from the surrounding area, uh, that are capable of pouring into the mission. Uh, and I think that we've been blessed by that. I was talking to a buddy of mine uh, who's the priest and, down in Georgia Tech, and uh, he has to hire a fundraiser in order for development. Right. right? You have to, he ha- there's a whole different conversation than what we're talking about. We're over here we're doing pretty well. We can get creative. We can have some fun. We can experiment with some stuff. There's some things that we have to make sure are good. We have to be really responsible with what we have. Uh, but that's not the conversation we're having. We're not talking about, uh, you know, how are we going to we feel equipped already? We are very much so equipped. And it's yeah. 100% because of this community that's been built around the center 
without yeah. us being here. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, not even <clears throat> the fact that they're around and are still donating and supporting and, and time and energy, especially they're still, you know, setting up for funerals and weddings and decorating and putting on these massive cooking our meals, cooking our meals, like actually like feeding us and students and the random students that don't even belong to this church. But more importantly, they're doing all of this, even though it's a completely new administration. Yeah. They're still doing it. And then we didn't scare them off. They're not attached to a priest. They're not attached. We didn't scare them off. We didn't scare them off yet. We almost did. Well, same thing. We almost did. You know, it happens with any transition, but that's, but I mean, we've gone through, you know, a dozen different friars. Yeah. And they're still, the, the mission supersedes that. And I think the fruits of that were shown today at the uh, the leadership retreat today. So we had like a CSA board leadership retreat um, all day today. You want to talk about people who are equipped to like go out into parishes and make changes? Like this is, this, yeah. this is them. I was incredibly stoked. Like I was, I was blown away. Like, and, and, and this is, it's interesting because again, I'm two months here. I barely know them, but I was so proud of them. Yeah. Like it, it was, it was, it was, proud was dadding so hard. I was, <laughs> I was so proud because they've come, they've come such a, such a far way. Uh, and they've made so, so many like, uh, like real honest decisions in their life. Uh, stepping away from things, stepping mm-hmm. towards things, committing to these things. And at such a, I don't want to say such a young age, but like when I was 19, 20, I was not doing well. No. Right? I was not, I was not in a great messes, place. Man. Yeah, exactly. I was a hot mess. And, and so to see people who are in love with Christ, who are in love with the mission, who want to perpetuate it, actualize it, um, and to further the Catholic Center in, in a positive way, according to whatever they can offer, right? On a, you know, there's, they're, they got a lot of stuff going on in life in general, but they've somehow like committed themselves to this mission. I was super proud. They did so today. They did, uh, they did, two minute testimonies. So they went around. Oh, everybody, everybody. Bold. So they went around. So everyone's okay with that. Yeah, that's that's a diff- that's vulnerability. It I was like it. it was incredibly vulnerable. It was awesome. I mean, I was I was blown away because talk about getting to know someone, you just hear their testimony, right? So two minute testimony. They go around everybody and they talk about their faith upbringing and like something maybe something that has impacted them or something that has led them to be where they are today, uh, faith wise. Sure. And some of them, it's like, man, like you've you've come so far already. And like I'm excited to see where you are tomorrow and the next week and then and the next year, uh, but it was so, it was so cool their their honesty their vulnerability their openness, uh, and it and as a public speaker someone who stands in front of people it's like that's not easy to do, mm. right one vulnerable two just public speaking in general right right and and to get in front of people for two minutes and just start sharing your life, I'm like I'm sucking it all up like a sponge man I was loving that. That was that was great. It was, I, like I said, I was I was proud, even though I barely even know them. Uh, but I was proud that there's Christians in Athens, there's Catholics in Athens who are doing it big. Like in a in an experience, my experience working in a parish right now during pandemic, and my experience of keeping tabs when everyone else is doing, not just here but across the country as well. Hmm. Uh, and then to see, like. Albeit we're safe and we're trying to do things extremely safe, uh, but see that energy, 
right? And there's yeah. momentum. There's there's something that, I mean, you can call it outpouring of the spirit. You can call it some sort of uh, zealous uh, energy that is pumping through this place at the moment. Like I sense it because I sense it. I've worked in different churches, right? I've been in different seminaries. I've been in seminaries where they don't have this energy, right? But there's some sort of energy that is active and alive, uh, and it's I think it's contagious. And so if we can, yeah, continue to foster that and inflame that, uh, the fan, the fire, because it's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. I mean, for me, at least it's been, it's, I've been here two months and it's funny because I, I ask people their names because I'm trying to learn names and I'm getting really in, intentional about it. Like I'm mm-hmm. asking everybody their names multiple times at the same conversation and then like I'll ask them again a week later or whatever. Uh, but then they said, you know, you, you know, you'll remember, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. I'm like, no, I'd rather like ask you again than to give you the wrong name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd rather call you your actual name than to call you Susie or, or, or Jessica or Anthony and your name's nothing near that. <laughs> yeah, uh, my first two weeks here, I set up my office in the student room exactly for that reason. So that way they, I'd have to interact with them, yeah. get to know them and just see them and just be around. So then they know I'm not... The guy who only does music at mass, who hides in his office in the main office, and they, it's unapproachable. I want it to be, you know, right there. Yeah. They mentioned the minute work. Fantastic. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, however I can, for me and yourself, however we can fan the flame of, of community life, of, hey, when nothing else on campus is happening, like, there's something happening here. We can't necessarily articulate it the best because it's still unraveling. It's still being unleashed uh but i believe that there is something happening and it's fun yeah adoration this afternoon was crazy at least for me i'm you know it's one of the one of the hardest things about leading worship and doing music is reading the room especially when you're having your own like personal spiritual moment because sometimes that doesn't reflect what's going on in the room so for example like uh, one of the songs really hit me hard in, in a different way during adoration. And so I was like, oh, the, and I don't know how to describe it, but I have this this spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit where I can recognize when he shows up is the only way I can explain it. There's like, there's like a shift in the room, in the energy when something happens, when the Holy Spirit shows up either in adoration or in a prayer group or in worship or in a conversation. Like when he shows up, like something clicks in my brain and it like overtakes me and I have to acknowledge it in some way. So I felt that during adoration, um, there was a shift, there was a click, something happened, the spirit was moving. And so I started free praising, which I haven't really done too much with this group. We've been slowly introducing it as a worship team and we've been slowly um, gathering people who are interested into to kind of build up a, a, to- a tolerance to it, you know? Um, but this was just me on piano in adoration, which I normally don't kind of go into a free praise, but I really, there was a click. I felt the spirit move and uh, it hit me. And I was like, okay, there's a decision where I have to decide, is it clicking for everyone or is this just like a me James kind of thing? <laughs> and I'm going to softly cry at my piano <laughs> while I play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but then, you know, I, I could, I looked up finally I had just made the mistake of like looking at my music for too long and looking at the piano 
And I looked up at Jesus, and I looked over, and everyone was standing, which never happens. Even when we have a huge seeking water with 80 people, like there are, there are, there are sit-downers here, and they were all standing. And I was like, it's moving. Let's do it. And so we just, I just dug a little bit deeper into trying to get the Spirit to move into to, and kind of like what Pippa was talking about in his talk, um, personal revelation. Let it happen. Let let him speak to you, you know, and bring it in. And so that really, that landed really well with me this afternoon, seeing them go for it. It's tough. So for me, what I loved was simply you on the piano singing, right? Because it's such a, it's like a minimalist praise and worship in a sense, right? It's not everything that we got. It's not a big show. It's not every singer, every guitarist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not a whole band. It's just one singer, simple. uh, And you leading us in that for me, I was like, this is, this is epic. Like, and, and again, it's just a random, what time was it? It was a random afternoon. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It wasn't like at night on the yeah. third day of the retreat with, <laughs> with this crazy powerful talk. 2 p.m. on a Saturday. It was 2 p.m. in daylight. <laughs> People praising. <laughs> Free praising. Yeah. Free praising. And I'm a big, so I'm a, I was, I was raised in uh, some churches that were charismatic. Uh, or some church communities, right? Steubenville, right? Yep. Or st- the, the people who lead Steubenville events every single year, they are charismatic. They are like legit. Very the, charismatic. They're yeah. the charismatic. They're the Atlantic charismatic the Atlantic movement. movement. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're like- who lead that event? Who make <laughs> it happen? And so, just being around them, and and uh, for the number of years that we have been, uh, I mean, they the amount of times that they've prayed over me, the amount of times we've done praise and worship, et cetera. It's like. It's funny because I go into seminary a decade ago after, after uh, say, five, six years of going to Steubenville and being around these leaders. It's like all of a sudden I recognize, holy crap, like I'm the charismatic person now. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm the charismatic person yeah. in the seminary. In the seminary, I mean, you know, you're either You've exposed to it or not. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of guys who are super traditional, a lot of guys who are into this or that. Uh, I'm over here like, let's get some praise worship in here. <laughs> That's awesome. Some guys are into like, you know, the Gregorian chant, which is beautiful. Uh, I can't really sing well, and so I'm not super, you know, into that or whatever. Uh, but to, to I, uh, it would eventually, like a buddy of mine, he just, he'd break out the guitar. He's like, let's do some, he called it P-dubs, right? Praise uh, and worship. Let's do some P-dubs in the chapel. Uh, and th- so that was this experience of, of today at 2 p.m. in the chapel, it's like there's there's a charisma happening. There's a, a charism specific to us that's happening that's uh, part of this community, and it's alive and it's active. It's something that we're choosing to do, Yeah. right? It's something that we choose to do. We don't have to be there. We decided to be there, and we decided to stand, and we decided to open the hands uh, in some sort of worship or docility or openness to the Spirit, not necessarily knowing where it'll take us. Uh, it was good. So I like the free praise. That's awesome. The, close, yeah. the closest thing that I get to free praise is uh, during the prayers of the faithful at Mass. Whenever So it's during daily Mass. 
uh, during the week because on the weekend we write down the prayers of the faithful. You know, after the after the gospel, after right. the homily, we we pray for the church. Uh, and so during the week, as I was like, you know, we pray for these folks over here. We go, we pray for all of those guys over here. And I'm like, I'm just going through the people that are on my own heart. Uh, and pe- and they're, everyone's probably just like, what the heck is it? Where, where's he going with this? Where's he going with That's this? That's a super fascinating comparison. Because it is, that is free praise. Yeah. Yeah. But outside of, well, it's, it's kind of like what I was telling you. It's free intercession in a sense. Yeah. If you want yeah, to call yeah. it that. That liberated, non-rote prayer, which a lot of times we associate with music, um, just just because it's you know more popular now, but you know I I love to do this this kind of training for my musicians and worship leaders and bands that I'm in. It's whenever we go on a retreat together, uh, I make a point to do like a musician specific retreat to number one for bonding for them as a group, but then also like to spiritually feed them because like if you're playing every single weekend at mass. It becomes a job. It becomes a duty. We've got people that have been volunteering to do that for thirty years, and have not been compensated at all. You know, so they they can get jaded, even if they don't realize it. So, what we do, um, I I love teaching people about what worship is because, especially for musicians that have been leading worship for a long time a lot of times they don't realize that worship is separate from music. It's two different things. The music that we play is not the worship, and the worship that we are doing is not the music. It's The music is a tool to help you worship, to give you a focal point for your prayer, to give you a focal point for your thoughts and what you're actually bringing to the Lord and to hopefully inspire something to move in your own heart to bring that into prayer. So... I haven't done it yet this this year because we haven't had a rehearsal yet, but um, normally for my worship teams, I will have like a time of worship at like a rehearsal or on a retreat or something, but with no music. We're going to have a worship night. Don't bring your guitar. We're not plugging in mics. We're just going to worship. And at face value, that's kind of like, you know, if you ask like a mother to admire her children, what is that? It's just a smile <laughs> downwards. You know what I mean? Like it's not, you can't quantify that. It's not a thing that you can physically do, but it is a thing that you can physically express. And so what you notice is like people will start to kind of sing anyway, but not songs and not music. They just sing because they're using their body in every way that they can. Like they're just, they're using their vocal cords. They're using their their speech and their language, and they're using their hands up in the air, and they're using their bodies to sway and to stand, and to dance, and like that's where free praise really gets unlocked. And music just happens to be one of the things that is the culmination in organization of all of those things to help kind of unlock that. But my goal is for you to put your mic down and start singing to the Lord. You know, I don't want you singing on the mic. <laughs> And just jabbering and blimbering and doing whatever. Like, no, I want you to be so inspired that you put your stuff down and you, you go for it. You know, and um, I definitely see that. I think that's part of the charism that's happening here is that there's a culture of worship that's starting to emerge. I'm seeing it out of the worship team that we put together over the last year, 
of seeing it out of the students that are coming to these nights and that are participating and actually buying in. It's They're not buying in because like all of their friends are here or the music's particularly cool. They're buying in because there's there's freedom in this culture of worship. Catholic Dogs Podcast. The Catholic Center is located at 1344 South Lumpkin Street. For more info on how you can get involved, check out our Instagram at Catholic Dogs. See you at Mass.